We are continuing in 1 Corinthians today, but, you know, as we do, I'm just, it, it uh, warms my heart this morning. I get to see Dale and Jenny Pritchett back here today, and uh, they're sad that I would say their names probably, but do you know Dale was the founding elder of our church, and this church is very much the fruit of his life and ministry. It's so cool. So I don't know that he's a hugger, but if you see him, give him a handshake and get some glue, would you, so that they have to stay here longer? and not travel the world and other places and those things. So, glad. Good to see you, friend. We're continuing in this second part of a two-part series for us um, on 1 Corinthians 3. We work our way through, and I, I promised you last week that today we would talk about rewards. Um, that's because this passage is the one often used to talk about the concept of rewards in heaven. Something like this, something like, do you know, Olympic athletes, they train, and they train hard, and they, they, they beat their body. They, they try and be all they can be so that in the Olympics, they run, and they run to win. And when they win, it's not just that they win. They get to stand on that podium. They get to get a gold medal if they're in first place. They get that medal forever. So cool. It's a reward. When we say reward, we don't mean gift. We don't mean something just given to you. Reward has the connotation of something that you've earned, something that's because of what you've done. Or, for example, like you say you're a young executive in a law firm and you know you're just working so hard, you're putting in 80-hour weeks, slaving away, leaving your family, doing amazing things there at the office. So that day when the, when the owning partner comes in and he sits you down and he says, all that work, you know it was worth it. You've made partner. Take it easy. And we'll, we'll get you the corner office and you get the, the nameplate and you value that. Finally, I made it. There's a reward. The question is, does this happen in heaven? Both of those examples I just gave you are used by contemporary teachers in our culture to say, yeah, that's what heaven will be like. A lot of people say yes. And so perhaps you've heard even the phrase, you can't take it with you. You'll probably fill it in, can't you? But you can send it on ahead. The idea is, is that the things you're doing now, you know all this stuff, you can't keep it, but, but you could do things that would maximize your experience in heaven. And many people talk about this, and we're talking about rewards today in terms of the most common way people think of it, which is distinguishing people's experience in heaven for eternity. There's a lot of postulation about what that might be, but many heavy hitters go down different lines to say this is true. Seminary I went to, John MacArthur, and follows kind of Jonathan Edwards, who says, hey, hey, there's different capacities in heaven. Some people will have this much capacity, and some people will have this much capacity. Everybody will be happy, generally, they say. No one will be jealous over different people's capacities. But there's a capacity you see that you'll have, and it'll be based on what you did here on earth. You following me? Really common. 
Uh, different people say it might be added responsibilities based on your obedience here, different degrees of bliss or happiness, or maybe an enriched relationship with God. Like, depending upon how much you obey God here, you might have a better relationship with God in heaven. Just something that maybe other people don't even know. That's the position, for example, of J.I. Packer. Big guys. So, most most people, they, they want to make sure they're protecting the idea of, of, of everyone being in heaven and being joyful in heaven, like Revelation 21 and 22 say. So maybe other people aren't aware of it, or maybe whatever peace you have is what you're aware of, or you may have this objective experience different. But they are saying that there's in heaven for eternity a distinguishing between believers based on what you do here on earth. Okay. That's the question I want you to walk away having answered today. Because I feel like that infects us. That burdens us. We say things like, hey, the gospel is a gift. Salvation is a gift. And everybody says, amen and hallelujah. I remember when I got saved. But then many people now think, fine, that salvation thing was great. But now I need to maximize my time. Not, not just because they want to respond to God, but because they think they will get something more from God when they're in heaven. And so if that's in the Bible, you need to know. If it's not, then how should we think about reward? So that's what we're trying to do this morning. And, and, and particularly in our passage today, we're in 1 Corinthians. We walk through the Bible. That's what we do. We're in 1 Corinthians 3, which is one of the passages that people use to support this idea of eternally distinguishing people in heaven. I want to know if that's true. So I want to look closely and set our hearts in the right direction. And so we'll look at that passage. We'll broaden it just a bit because uh, because it may not mean what you think it means. And so perhaps to think about the crowns or other things might be helpful. And, and then we'll talk about why that is important for us in our lives. So let's go through the passage and look at that first. Here it is. We'll start with a solid foundation. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to pick it up in verse 9. A solid foundation. So, 1 Corinthians 3, 9 begins this way. It's the verse we ended on last week. It says, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. <laughs> this is fantastic. And, and if you didn't get to hear last week, I commend it to you because it, it forms an important bookend for today. Because the reality is, is that Paul is saying, he and Apollos, the teachers, they're nothing. One guy does planting, one guy does watering, but God is the grower. And he finishes with this amazing statement of really how we should think about ourselves, the church. We don't think of ourselves as high teachers like Paul, the apostle. We think, man, we're a field and God's working on us. God adores us and he's working in us and through us. He's growing. He's He's like, like we're a field. He's building like we're a building. And it's God who's at work. And it's so amazing that we are God's. Wonderful idea. And then, after doing that, Paul does focus on him and Apollos, on the laborers. And he says this in verse 10, according to the grace of God given to me, okay, according to this grace I have, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. 
For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Yeah, this is beautiful, right? The, the, you get, he gets to, Paul got to, like a skilled master. He, he started the church. He was the apostle to the Gentiles. He, he laid this foundation and, 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 and he did it. This is the key, he says. This is the core. This is the foundation. Everything must come directly from this. This is the rock, the base. And, and, and it's why we in our church have a core. Because he identifies what it is, right? Jesus Christ. Jesus Messiah. Jesus Savior. So we take our high view of the Bible and who Jesus is and how we get saved. And we say this is the absolute core foundation. He, he sees this too, and so he says this, and we're not talking. Everybody who's building on this core, on this foundation, everybody is, is saved. Because if you're on the rock, you're on the rock. So we're not talking today about whether you get to heaven. The question we're talking about is rewards. So, look what Paul has to say about Apollos himself and other people who teach. There's this solid foundation, and then there's this building. I just want to say, it's an uncertain build. Right? That's, that's where he's going. He says, now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, Straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. You see what he's describing, right? He's talking about how people take the gospel and the truth, and they build. They teach people how to apply it in their lives. They interpret and make a system of doctrine. They talk about how, how it's not about salvation, about Jesus himself. Jesus is the foundation. They're building on that. They're making statements about how to live and what's important. And, and here's the thing to notice, a couple of things. From this passage, clearly, it's not about their skill. Right? He doesn't say there are people with varying levels of skill and varying levels of ability, and they're using different... Not about their skill. He's talking about the material they use. Are they using gold or silver or hay? I remember when I was, one of the most amazing things. I, maybe you've seen this. These guy, I went to a birthday party once and there was a guy there who could do stuff with balloons like you just can't imagine. They take these long skinny balloons and he do and here's a, you know, kangaroo. And we take it home and I'm going to keep this forever. This thing is fantastic. It's beautiful. And I take it home to my house and I keep it and the next morning it's gone. Wow, such skill. Such bad material. I Googled this week just for fun. I looked at them. The Lego convention. Wow, do you know what people can make out of Legos? Do you know that those things don't last? Try the ice convention. Man, with a chainsaw and a block of ice, there are people who can do things you can't believe. But they don't last. The first heat wave comes. That's what he's talking about, right? That's specifically what he's talking about. It's about the material you're using with all the skill you have. You can build the most beautiful thing in the world, and it looks fantastic. That's the way. But if the wrong material is being used, even with the right foundation, 
It's about, it's going to be revealed. So, so that's the second thing. Each one's work will become revealed for the day will disclose it. There's no hint in this idea that we're talking about that the people aren't doing things skillfully or that they know or that you know. That you can look at the work and you can say, wow, that's made out of straw. It's going to be revealed in the day. That's mean it's not revealed today, right? So, so the whole idea we're talking about here is, is that there's a coming day, he says. In fact, the focus is on the reveal. There's this coming reveal. It's kind of hidden right now. There are people who come to you like Paul or like Apollos or like somebody, other teacher, and they're going to come and they're going to talk to you about what you should do with your Christian life how the church should work, how you should live. And they're going to build on the reality of Jesus. They're saved. But you don't know what kind of material they're using. They may not even know. But guess what? It will be revealed. When Jesus returns, that's this, this, um, that's why they capitalize the D. There's no capitalization in the Greek, but they're making a choice there. And I think they're right to say, when Jesus comes back, all will be revealed. Everything we've done. And it will be shown. There are, he calls it a fire, right? Okay, so here's our passage so far. But you get to see that this will be tragic for lots of people who haven't taught the truth. There are beautiful ministries that simply are not lasting. They're built on error. This makes me tremble as a teacher because really, do you see that, that this is not a passage directly about known obedience leading to commendation for every person in Christ? This is a statement about multiple people teaching and building the church and the reality is that some are not teaching true, but they think they are. They think they're obediently building with great skill, but you don't know until the end what material you had. There's a coming day. Second Corinthians 5.10 says it this way. It says, For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what is done in the body, whether good or evil. You, you don't necessarily know what that good or evil is, but it is coming. You will stand before the Lord. Okay. So, so okay, Dax, what does this have to do with reward? Because he's not done. There, there's a reward that he talks about. In verse 14, he says this. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. And then he gives the other side. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Okay, so they're both saved, these two teachers who have taught and built on the foundation of Christ, but the materials, they do get revealed, and and one of them gets into heaven as through, through fire, he suffers the loss of seeing his own work burned up, right? That's the, the object of the loss there, though you lose the work. And so the parallel for that is is that seeing that your work survives. What's the reward? 
You get to see it. Right? I mean, just think about it. In your own life, think about if you get to see that the Lord did that. And he shows you, this is how I used you. These are the cool things I did through you. And you get to see it. Okay, done. Into heaven. You see that there's there's nothing here that's about the eternal distinguishing between people in heaven. And that's how we commonly think of rewards. We commonly think of rewards as eternal things we get to cherish, like extra piles of, 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 of gold or extra piles of good things or extra consciousness of God or extra things that God's going to give us. And that's not this passage. It might be somewhere else we'll have to look. But in this passage, it's about there's coming a day when everything is revealed. It's about the reveal. It will be known. And you'll receive a commendation of seeing that, oh, the Lord used you. And after that, you're in heaven like the other guy who made it through flames. His stuff burned. That's it. That's not a small reward. That means there is a reward. But there's a couple problems. This is far from an urging to obey, so God will bless you. I mean, one of the issues is the people don't seem to know what they're building with until it gets revealed. (laughs) That really throws a spanner in my idea of how do I, how do I do everything right so that God gives me extra stuff at the end? You know, Jesus said, I go in to prepare a place for you in my father's house. There are, uh, it's a mansion. There's many rooms. So I want the corner one with the great view. How do I get it? The, The answer that we want to give is, do and obey. And God will take that obedience and he'll translate it into the essentially the corner office or the corner room or the little bit better spot. But the Bible actually says, hey, it's about the reveal. It's not about a distinguishing forever. So to impose this framework of merit-based eternal reward rather than just a simple reveal, I, I think it's actually harmful because it takes away from what the gospel actually is, right? There's many, I mean, there's many frameworks for theology. People do this. They say, hey, the gospel is free. Grace is free. Salvation is free. But if you want rewards, then, then here's the latter. And in, in essence, all of us want rewards. That's why we all have in our pocket the rewards card from Safeway. No, that's silly. Uh, you you can conclude, and and then also this piece, just generally, you got to realize it's talking to teachers. This passage makes me tremble because it's talking about people that are going to tell you this is what the gospel means, and this is then how you live. That's scary. It's scary for me. We'll have to see in the day if if this material that we've built here at this body, if it's gold or hay or straw. I, I'm convinced it's gold, but not because of me. I just, this is the Bible. It is. And I'm trying to present to you the link that we're living in freedom and in response to this amazing gospel of Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's a scary thing. Okay, what I want to do is I want to take a minute now and back up and talk big picture because because if you say, okay, well, this passage obviously is talking about at the end, the teachers will get to see revealed if what they were teaching was true or not. It's not talking about some eternal star on your forehead or something extra busy special. It's talking about the reveal at the end of the age. That That is a reward. 
but it's a particular kind. It's not merit-based in terms of forever distinguishing you before God. So maybe we'll say, well, Dax, that sounds good, but it doesn't fit into my overall picture of what was taught. So back up and think about the things that are taught about rewards. The number one thing that people talk about are crowns. You know you might have a crown in heaven. There's five of them in the Bible. Five different times there's crowns, and they're all kind of different. They're all named differently. So you say, well, I'm going to figure out which crown I want. We're going to do that. That'll distinguish me. If I have the red crown, or you've got the gold crown, or i got five crowns stacked on top of each other, that'll be cool. I want that. Okay, so let's look. There's the five passages. If you look at each one, something starts to become clear. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? This is the crown of boasting in First Thess chapter 2. The interesting thing there is if you're thinking literally about a crown of reward that you might wear in heaven, the crown becomes a person. Paul's going to have to walk around with people on his head. Because he's speaking that the wonder of fellowship in heaven with you is his crown. His boast is, we're in heaven together. Lord even used me to do it. How cool is that? If you go through some, that Second Thessalonians passage, the parallel to the hope and joy of eternal life is this pleasure of ending fellowship with other believers. So the crown is the eternal fellowship he gets with other believers. Believers, dare I simplify that to eternal life. Here's another one. Here's 1 Timothy chapter 4. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Say, well, there's, there's something. Said, I'm going to get in heaven forever. I'm going to have the special crown of righteousness that some other Christians don't have. Well, except there's a problem, right? It's given to everyone who's excited that Jesus comes back. That, dare I say, is every Christian. I'm waiting for Jesus. I love when he comes back. I'm ready. I'm, I'm excited. Here I am. And so it's not talking about some special thing for you and not for everybody else. It's talking about every Christian gets the crown of righteousness. Dare I say eternal life. The righteousness without which no one sees the Lord. Here's another one. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. This is James's use of the word crown. For when he has stood the test... He will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Oh, there's another good one. So there's a crown of life. So I'm just after the crown of life. I don't think you're going to get it. What does that mean? You're dead? I mean, really, again, the same thought is here, right? If you make it through the trial, what's the trials in James? It's holding on to Christ in the midst of hard circumstances. It's you saying, my faith is in Christ then what do you get the crown of life? What's that? Eternal life. It's a worthy reward for you holding on to Jesus. This one has the least context, but 
In 1 Peter 5, he says, hey, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. In 1 Peter 5, he's talking to these, this elder group, and Peter's saying, I'm just one of you, but I did see Jesus, and so be this way. Be humble, and don't be after earthly reward. And, and then he says, hey, when Jesus comes, you're going to get the crown of glory. You might think, oh, there's special crowns for those servants in the church. But every other use of glory in 1 Peter is talking about the idea of eternal glory that we all get. And I think the best way to see this in light of all the crowns is this idea that, that we get the eternal weight of glory together to be with Jesus. It's not that the elders get special ones. The last one is the crown of victory. I'll just read it to you. It's in 1 Corinthians 9. It says, Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. (laughs) Because it's gone along so well with already what we've talked about, this idea of the wreath of victory. So I'll get a crown of victory. The idea is if you're thinking of it as a reward in some merit-based system, you're thinking, I'm going to get it and other people won't. I had victory and other people didn't. Oh my goodness. Do you think that's what he's talking about? First Corinthians 9? Wait a few weeks, we'll be there. But here's a preview. Uh-uh. He's not talking about, he's talking about finishing, holding firm to Jesus till the end that you, you, you finish the race. What do you get? You get the prize of victory with everybody else who's in this room who has trusted in Jesus. Not distinguishing me from you. We get it together. So every case that you see, all five of them that you go through, when it talks about crowns in heaven, there's one more reference. It's in Revelation. It talks about the elders putting the crowns before the feet of Jesus there. And and I personally think those elders are angelic beings. But even if you don't, the purpose of the crowns is to put them at the feet of Jesus. Like, get rid of them. Makes sense, right? Our crown is Christ. And the eternal life we have in union with him. We get it, you guys. We're gods. We're his field. We're his building. He's at work in us. Okay. A couple more, just because if you don't feel this, if you don't get the right flavor on this, you end up doing some, I think, some foolish things that are harmful. For example, in Matthew Chapter 6, there's a verse that says, says, hey, don't lay up for yourself treasures here on earth where where rust and moths come in. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. goes along with this idea that didn't Jesus teach about treasure and how we should be putting our treasure in heaven? And yes, he did, and amen, and you should. But is he talking about meritorious reward? Is he talking about this idea that that lay up for yourself more stuff in heaven? Like, I've laid up 10% of my stuff here in heaven, and you've laid up 25% of your stuff in heaven, and that means I'm going to get more in heaven? I don't think that's it at all. He's saying have a heavenly mindset, right? He's saying his whole thing, the only hope you have is Christ. And, and, and as you live this life, live in light of the reality that heaven exists. It's all that matters. You're taken care of. He does it, for example, in Matthew 19, very similar passage. Jesus says to this rich young man, this rich young man comes up to him and says, hey, how do I get to heaven? And Jesus says, hey, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. See that phrase? You're going to have treasure in heaven. 
if you do this. And come, follow me, he says. Now when the rich young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. But look, Jesus says to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. It's not about setting up treasure in heaven. It's about getting in. The guy's question was, how do I get in? He says, well, you'll have treasure in heaven, i.e. you'll be there if you do these things. And this is particular to him. And he goes away sad. And he says, hey, it's really hard for rich people to go to heaven. That would be the treasure they would have in heaven, that they're in it. So so you have this thought all the way through. There, There's lots more. You've got on the Sermon on the Mount, it says, hey, if you're persecuted, great is your reward in heaven. But, but the verse before in verse 10 is talked about, hey, the, the reality of persevering is that you get heaven. Not that you get more of heaven. So is there a reward for the work you do on earth? Yeah, there is. You'll get to see it. Is that amazing? Jesus Christ is coming back, precious friends. And when he does, he will show all the ways in which the Holy Spirit has used you in your life. I dare say there are many things that you won't even know. Because that's the whole idea. The guy's given a glass and says, I didn't serve you, Jesus. Says, yeah, when you gave that glass of water, you were actually serving me. And he'd be like, no. He'll be like, yeah. It's cool. That's amazing. And you get to see it. Finished. Done. Enter into your rest. There might be different things we do in heaven. There might be different capacities we have administratively. There would definitely be different roles according to the Bible. That's the topic for another time. But they won't be based on your obedience here. Not happening. Not that way. So our salvation's a gift. Our works are gifts. We don't see clearly now, but we will. We won't have the same role in heaven, but to say that it's based on your level of external obedience here is misleading, even discouraging and wrong. One scholar that I like says this, Furthermore, I'm convinced that when this unfounded doctrine of degrees of reward in heaven is acted upon consistently, it can have highly damaging consequences for the motivation and psychology of living the Christian life. That's big gobbledygook to say. It's dangerous. We gotta beware the invasive power of merit because that's what the world does every single day in every single way. It's about you maximizing you. And, and then the gospel comes along and says, well, Dax, you're saying I don't have to do anything. You don't have to do anything, but you will. It's just what the doctrines of degrees of reward does to you is it says two things. One is this. I've gotta focus on me. I've got to maximize me. That's a big deal. Because it's not about you, it's about Jesus. The second thing that it does is it, it presumes upon God that what he's after for you is external obedience. That's the issue. It doesn't matter about whether I want to. It doesn't matter about what my heart is. It doesn't matter about whether I really think it's beautiful. I can have the worst thing in the world, which is I'm building myself and I'm getting stuff for me in heaven. But as long as I do it, God's going to bless me. I just want to tell you that's not true. God's not like us in that way. I know because I do this with my kids. You do it too, right? If you have kids, man, that room's messy and the kid wants to play on a tablet. You're like, I'll let you play on a tablet. That'll be a reward for you after you clean your room. Do it, kid. Guess why they clean the room? 
They don't do it out of beautiful, heartfelt love for me. They don't do it because they think it's beautiful to have a clean room. They do it because they want to play on their tablet. They want the reward. We've got to beware of pushing a Christianity that sounds like that. If only I can be a little more obedient today, God will like me more and deal with me more favorably. And this fresh air that blows in with the gospel is that God loves you already more than you can imagine. Right now, when you're such a sinner, that's going to drive you to places that's wonderful that you will get on the right track. And so the question remains, what motivation remains for obedience? And the answer is gratitude. If you really get that you're God's, if you really start to see the vast distance between you and the God of the universe and to see that he has come to you in Christ, oh, it's so amazing what we get. You respond with thankfulness. Not to get more for you in heaven, but to respond to what you've been given in Christ alone. So, yes, reward, but not an extra benefit. It's damaging to motivation if you impose it. You're going to motivate to increase yourself. You're going to motivate like what's important is external behavior. We call that sin management. Watch out. And, And then merit has no basis in heaven, but God loves to give gifts. He's going to give gifts in heaven too because that's what kind of God he is, right? We have an inheritance. And First Peter says it doesn't pass away. You're so great, you can't even see it. That's what we read earlier. It says, hey, there's John the Baptist, and he's, he's the most amazing prophet in the Old Testament. And then Matthew 11 says, there it is, the least person in the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about you. Is greater than him. Wow. I think of my own life. I think of, you know, about... Ten years ago now, I went back to my university. And in my university, I took my my kid, kids and my wife in. We, I said, it's just my wife and I before the kids. We went into the athletic hall, and, and there it was. You know, my senior year, I was the most valuable member of the crew team, you know. So I don't even really remember it, but there we were looking around, and there's a plaque, and there's actually my name was on the plaque. It was so cool. Doc Swanson. It's like, wow. Yeah, let me tell you about my glory days. (laughs) But it had had no impact on my life. It wasn't something I treasured. It wasn't something I dwelt on. It was kind of anything to say, you know, the distant past, look, look what the Lord did with me here in crew. And we had a neat talk about me being the only guy on the crew team that didn't drink alcohol. I was a crazy Christian. That's the kind of thing we're talking about. It will be seen who you are. There will be nothing hidden. But all is Christ, and there's such cause to rejoice in it. Rejoice together with me, will you?